Hey y'all, hope you had a great week. And if you didn't, big hugs from me to you. This week on the show, I want to take you with me uh, on a trek, a journey. Uh, I love to go basically what I call food spotting. And that's generally all during a week, I will jump in the car and go someplace. Um, sometimes it's as nearby as you know, the downtown New Orleans or the Marigny of Bywater. Sometimes I'll hit Chalmette and Araby. Sometimes I go to, out to Kenner and out Barataria on the West Bank. It just depends on my mood. And I decided to check out what was going on. There's a couple things I wanted to check out in Covington and Mandeville uh, that I spotted on Instagram. You know, it's a great resource for finding a lot of interesting things. Well, there's a couple places that I had not yet been and I want to go, so I thought it would be fun to take you with me. And while we're here, quick primer on this. Any place that I love to go or if I tell you about something that I find that's great in food and dining or cooking or eating or whatever, my opinion is just my opinion. I want you to form your own and be your own best judge. So I try to avoid reviewing in the classic sense of the word because there are other people already doing that stuff. I don't need to review it. You don't need my review. What you need to know is where there's something that I think is interesting and you may disagree, but at least you get out there and you go check it out. And that's, in my mind, the best part about the whole thing and taking risks. Now, taking a risk in food and in dining, you know, not everybody likes to do that. Not everyone's an adventurous diner and that is okay. It's a, a funny thing. I was having this conversation with my brother-in-law and he was like, he said, you know, he was arguing like really hard. He was like, no, I'm, I'm an adventurous diner. And we started talking and the more we talked, he was like, you know what? No, I'm not an adventurous diner. I, I like to go to certain places all the time where I know I like the food or certain restaurants and things. And, and I said, but that's fine. It, it's great. What I always like to encourage people to do, and whether they do it or not is a different thing, is I encourage people to take a risk of, and of some kind. You can't know whether you like or don't like something till you try it, right? You know, we always tell our kids, just try it. If you can do that, if you want to do that, great. And so when I was teaching at Delgado's Culinary School, a job I enjoyed immensely, by the way, um, I love working with these students because getting students to take risks in food is important to them because if you've never eaten, say, Indian food ever, right, how in the world are you supposed to understand how to cook it, right? Or any kind of, any cuisine of any kind. So even if you, I don't care what you're making, you might be making grape leaves, you might be rolling, if you've never had one before, you have absolutely no idea what does it look like? What does it taste like? So it's the same thing just in life in general. So I, when I recommend things, I am what one would call an adventurous diner. I'll pretty much try anything. The only thing I don't love are bugs in food, crickets and all those things. I know they're a great source of protein. There are a lot of cultures that eat them. Not my jam. I also am not a fan of oatmeal. I don't like canned peas. We all have stuff that we do and don't like, and that's cool. But what I'd love you to try is to take a risk. So with that in mind, join me as I run into a couple of places on the North Shore in Mandeville and in Covington, 
and I take you along for the ride, and then you can go check it out and be your own best judge. Come on, join me. Okay, so the first stop on my journey uh, was in Mandeville at Sacred Earth Company, which is at 310 Dalwell Drive, which, uh, right across from the Rouses. And James Knapp, who's the owner, is super knowledgeable and super interesting to talk with. And he has these really piercing bright blue eyes. That's apropos of nothing. But in the store, it's a wellness um, and well-being store that carries all kinds of things from spices and oils and supplements to little bits of foodstuffs. And every time I go in there, there's always something new and interesting to either sample, to try, or to understand, learn, and know. And I always have the best time. One of my best finds in Sacred Earth Company, aside from his, James's own bars, which are like a granola type bar, but they're made with um, activated herbs and chia seeds and they're just adaptogens they are incredibly good they're dense and they're sweet and my favorite one has lavender and chocolate in it and they're great but in that refrigerated case from bhakti farms which bhakti farms has a booth at the cummington the abita and at several of the farmers markets and bhakti so that you know is b-h-a-k-t-i bhakti farms they do, the chef is uh, Johnny Johnson, and he makes these things called bhakti balls. And that is not, <laughs> it sounds silly, but they are a thing of joy and beauty. They are the most delicious combination of chopped dates and cashews with cardamom and rose water, and then they're rolled in chopped pistachios. And if you've never had dates before and you think well, well I don't know what that flavor is it is li like a caramel and a little bit of like Steen's molassesy cane syrupy flavor to it and so if you can imagine those chopped up together with cashews which are really rich and creamy and then the flavor of cardamom which is a bit green and a bit floral and rose water so if you're a fan of things that have a real um, heady floral and a little bit sticky sweet flavors these are for you i adore them and every time i'm there i try to pick up um, bhakti balls whether i get them at sacred earth or whether i'm over on the weekend and make it to the farmer's market to pick them up from bhakti farms these are fantastic in fact all of their little foods are great and if you are a plant-based eater uh, you will absolutely love their stuff and so check them out the other things inside of sacred earth that i love uh, aside from the supplements and I really am a fan I do take I do take my fair share of supplements uh, is I love their essential oils they carry um, a bunch of different brands and a bunch of different kinds and some of them are uh, culinary grade and make sure if you're getting essential oils and you're using them in your coffee your tea your food make sure they are digestible that they are culinary grade it's really important because they can be essential oils can be very caustic so be thoughtful and careful but one of the other products i love is called um, chef muggsy's joint lube and a chef muggsy's joint lube is this almost like a peanut butter texture of a mixture of all kinds of nuts and seeds and all kinds of things mixed together that is bound together by collagen powder amazing thing to use 
very smart because it has great texture to it. And what you're supposed to do is just have a couple teaspoons of it a day to help, you know, lube those joints. And, and the flavor of it is so delicious that uh, one person in my family for whom I have bought jars of joint lube has really sort of gone to town and eaten spoonful after spoonful. So she must really feel excellent. The, that is really delicious. He also has Girl Nola Granola and a whole host of other locally made products. There's uh, uh, coffees, there are teas, there are bath products. When I tell you going into Sacred Earth is a joy, it's an absolute joy. So pop in, check them out. And my next stop that I went made was to a restaurant called Megumi 21. Now there is Megumi, that's the first one, the original one. That one is in um, Mandeville and this one is in Covington. And you think, okay, they're sister restaurants, they should be the same, but they're not. The menu at Megumi 21, which is on uh, LA 21, uh, Tyler Street, is completely different in this way. There is a giant menu of ramen soup dishes that are unbelievable. 11 different, no, 12, maybe 13 different ramens, I'm wrong. And the one that I had when I went there and ate today was what they call, I had the spicy Cajun ramen and it has a pork-based broth. It is filled with seaweed and mustard greens and seafood, shrimp, scallop, mussels. And then I swapped out the wheat-based noodles for their edamame noodles. And you're like, well, okay, what is an edamame noodle? Well, an edamame noodle is made from the edamame beans, which are soybeans. So it's a bean flour noodle, which makes it gluten-free. And they have edamame noodles, which were delicious and chewy, they had great flavor, they went beautifully with the broth, and that spicy Cajun ramen also has a little tiny tempura fried baby soft shell crab on the side. Okay, just put that all in your brain. It is not to be believed that the combination of the fried and the creamy, and I have the black garlic oil in that ramen soup with those edamame noodles, and there's a slice of a fish cake. If you want to see the images of these things, of course, they're on my Instagram, Let's Eat New Orleans. And when we continue this conversation, my next stop, because this place is all about the homemade boba. If you aren't hungry yet, get ready to be hungry, get ready to be thirsty, because there is so much to talk about. I'm Lauren Godin. This is Let's Eat. And we are talking about the North Shore, my trek from the North Shore, where I was fortunate enough to stop at Sacred Earth to begin with. And then I went and had some incredible ramen at Megumi 21, 12 different kinds of ramen, including a vegan vegetarian. Don't sleep on that one. Uh, my friend Gabrielle Geiselman Malone, who is a photographer, it's her favorite. And if you want to see a beautiful image of her ramen, go to her Instagram feed. It'll make you hungry and her photos are just, well, they're little miracles as far as I'm concerned. My last stop on my journey on the North Shore was to a place called 
MOBA, M-O-B-A, MOBA Tea and Treats. It's at 70515 Highway 21 in Covington. And in, again, another little strip mall, but that's sort of what the, you know, that's the thing over there is the little strip malls. And there are all these hidden gems, all tucked in all throughout Madisonville, Mandeville, and Covington and environs. It's really interesting. So what do they have? Well, they do all kinds of teas and there's nothing really new about the boba tea and bubble teas and all of that. But at this location, they are doing some really interesting and different things. So for instance, they make their own brown sugar boba, which are the bubble teas, which are the little tapioca pearls. And if you've had them before and you think you've, you understand what they are, no, you got to try them everywhere. When I had them, they gave me a little sample taste and they were warm and soft. They weren't like hard and chewy. Sometimes they can, those tapioca pearls can be chewy and hard and I hate to say it kind of yucky and like a booger, but these were not like that at all. Uh, and the brown sugar was just gently sweet. I normally do no sugar in my stuff. So these were spectacular and they have all different kinds of iced teas and they have milk teas and you can do toppings. And then on the countertop, they happen to have the last of the milk breads from a gal who's no longer baking. So I don't want to torture you and tempt you with uh, her milk breads. And if you haven't had Japanese milk bread, it's kind of like a brioche and a dinner roll had a baby. And they have all these beautiful flavors. So they do lattes, they do milk teas, they have um, bubble teas, hot and iced and all kinds of toppings. And they make their own bubble tea pearls. It is really cute. And they have a thing, a big freezer case in the front where there is some of their ice cream. And I got the rice you heard me right, rice flavored ice cream. And what I can tell you, and I'd never had this before, is I took my spoon, I scraped it along the top and the texture of it was sort of like frozen ricotta. So it has that rich and a little bit of that kind of curdly cheesy sort of texture to it in a good way. And the flavor was like you were eating rice pudding, slight, gently sweet rice pudding, skip the cinnamon, and I am now hooked. That was wonderful. And they have a bunch of different flavors of little, uh, looks like pints and you can take them home with you. And then when the weather is right, Moba Teas also does taiyaki, which are uh, like an ice cream cone. It's like a waffle kind of cone in the shape of a fish. And they also, they do soft serve in a variety of flavors. So keep your eyes on Moba Tea and Treats on the North Shore and their hashtag is, well, their hashtag is Moba Tea Delicious as far as I'm concerned, but follow them at Moba Tea underscore 21 to keep up with what flavors they're running and they're doing. And again, we are getting ready to talk with, speaking of health and wellness, I started off this segment with health and wellness and then I went way off on a tangent. But Molly Kimball, who is my nutrition guru, she is incredible smart and fun. The conversation with her going to continue when we come back and we will find out what is Eat Fit NOLA? What can you do to eat fit? What is the Alcohol Free for 40 challenge? And what is being done around the city? When you see those menus and there's that orange circle that says Eat Fit NOLA, what does that mean? Let's find out.
Molly Kimball, she's going to join the conversation. We're in the Lenten season, which for many people who celebrate Lent, or even those of us who relate for, I don't celebrate Lent, it's not my religion, but I celebrate it because systemically and in the restaurant industry and in the food world, you know, it's seafood season. That makes me happy. So it makes me even happier every year for the past, golly, I don't, I'm going to have to ask her how long they've been doing it. I've done alcohol free for 40 for since the beginning. And so joining me to talk alcohol free for 40, I said it earlier, I'll say it again, my nutrition guru, registered dietitian, Molly Kimball. Thanks for joining oh, me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. Thanks, Molly. And our first alcohol free for 40 was Ash Wednesday of 2016. So you are right at five years. Holy smoke. Yes. I'm so glad to know that. Yes. Thank you. So Alcohol Free for 40 was an initiative that you began. Give us the reason, give us the background and what we're doing. Yeah, so I was writing for the Times-Picayune and I, and I pitched it to my editor and I said, hey, what if we asked people to make it their own little self-experiment? If they're choosing to give up alcohol for Lent, they may or may not be, but if they're choosing it, let's make it their own self-experiment and do recommend a series of labs and other kind of physical metrics before and after. And I thought, number one, my editors were gonna look at me like I'd lost my mind. Like, this is New Orleans, what are you talking about? An alcohol-free challenge? And they loved it. And then I thought, the community might lose their mind. I was, I was bracing myself for backlash. Like, who do you think you are talking about alcohol-free challenge? Because again, now there's dry January, sober October, but there <laughs> exactly. really wasn't, um, these weren't prevalent in 2016. It wasn't something that had really reached, especially the New Orleans area. And so, um, the so true. Year, That's very true. It and then those started coming. We started a movement. You know, yeah. Those started coming after and made it way more. You know. Oh yeah, I'll do that. And it's it's a cool jump start. So what I noticed was the first year people really liked having the social support and the camaraderie, but they weren't getting their labs done. So year two, Truth. We brought Ashner in and said, Hey, can Amazing. you please do this? And so we do all types of liver enzymes, um, inflammatory markers. Uh, specific lab markers that are indicative of what's happening inside of our body with alcohol use. Then on the outside, we do close-up photo of your face, uncomfortably close, so that you <laughs> oh get... Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, as the, whoever's taking the photos, I'm like, we don't want to even see shoulders. Like, it needs to be real close, you know? Because what's the point? Skin texture, skin color, the circles under the eyes, the clarity, the puffiness of the face before and after. Right, the reduction oh of inflammation. Oh gosh, so we Amazing. see all this at the beginning and then also body composition, muscle mass, body fat mass, um, hydration status, and then blood pressure. So those are the things that are kind of on the outside that we're, we're touching you and doing these physical metrics and then we do lab work and at the end of the 40-day challenge, we do all these again. And it's just a really cool thing to see the impact. You know, we had one guy, the first year that we started, we actually, the first year we weren't gonna do photos, I had blood pressure and uh, I remember labs. because the editor reached out to me uh, because apparently there weren't any other um, local food writers who were willing to take the right. challenge and I was yeah I didn't mind giving up alcohols no big deal you know listen I'm a, you know I'm a tequila fanatic and I drink my fair share of tequila but 40 days to give it up right. no big deal but there was none of that fancy stuff in right. the beginning it still was a lot of fun and it was pretty it was I really enjoyed it and I had a decent benefit but I think it was last year when you added sort of the no white carbs yeah. kind of element to it that for me was a major game changer 
um, Alcohol Free for 40 was only the beginning because I, as a food writer, eat a ton, ton, ton of food, good, bad, and ugly. And of course, I have the waistline to prove it. And I, you know, it looks like I'm on the all pizza and Twinkie diet. It but does not. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, Molly. But the bottom line was that last year when you launched again, I didn't do my labs with you because I, uh, I'm an N equals one kind of person and I do a lot of my own stuff and it's really not kind. And you should do your labs with Molly. Mm -hmm. Don't follow what I do. But I had just done my labs, so I knew where my levels were and everything like that, but I did follow the rest of it. And the game changer, when I did the alcohol, the no sugar, and the no white carbs, was astonishing. I went from pre-diabetic to no longer pre-diabetic. I lost a significant amount of weight. It changed the inflammatory markers in yes. my body and my face. And I have you to thank for that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, that was huge. You, it's it, you saved my life. <laughs> I'm not. No, that's not even a joke. Somebody saw my ankle and sent my a picture and said, "Lauren, your ankle, your left ankle is really swollen. You really are you are you okay?" Sent it to a cardiologist friend who was like, "Hello, what is going on?" Literally, Molly, your program saved my life after Mardi Gras. Everything. Wow. Everything. Wow. I'm actually. On, with regard to my blood pressure meds, I went from uh, 150 to 75. I'm now at 37.5. Wow. <laughs> oh I'm gosh. almost off. It's incredible. So thank and that's you. One of, thank you. for That's incredible. That's why we do what we do. And it's like people don't realize there's like such a strong correlation with blood pressure. And so we started showing these things, and it really is this, this self-experiment. The first year when a guy said, well, what about my photo? And I was like, we've got all these other things. And I didn't even think to line up a photo station here. So um, one of our teams said, you know, oh, get against the wall. We'll take your picture, you know. And then at the end, he was ready for his after photo. So he was, as you said, our N of one. He was the only guy in that second year that we had the photo of. Well, let me tell you, the before, I'm sorry if you're listening. He knows who he is. <laughs> but it was like... We'll just say he looked rough. I mean, it was Ash Wednesday. He'd been going hard for Mardi Gras. It looked like the picture in the post office. Oh, my goodness. The after was someone that we were like, I want to set him up with our friend. Wow. It even looked like he had more hair. And I'm like, is it because the inflammation is so much less that his wow. head is smaller? But it was stunning. And so what we see is with the before and afters, not everyone's is that that um, striking of a difference. But people know their faces and you can tell and you can see the little nuances and sometimes it is like, wow, it's, it's really a significant difference. But yeah, it's been, um, it's been a cool growth and we have it in New Orleans and we also have it in six cities across the state. And no so way. this year we did, um, we had 500 people who came through for wow. our testing. 250 here in New Orleans and about 250 in Monroe, Shreveport, Baton Rouge, uh, North Shore, and Lafayette. And then we have our Facebook group, is Alcohol Free for 40. And we've got like 1,500 people there. And it's just, it's really the support, the camaraderie, the idea sharing. Um, people go there for, um, to share, to share challenges they have coming up. and, and Recipes. Uh, recipes, Which I right. think that's been really, really fun too. And, and what I find really interesting is that even if, even if you haven't started alcohol free, we're only a week in, right? Jump in whenever you can. And it doesn't have to be during Lent. Right, anytime. anytime. It just happens that it coincides nicely in the 40 thing, right. the 40, it, which is phenomenal. But I think to be a part of that group anytime, any way to just to see, 
experiment with yourself to see what effect it can have is is just an incredible opportunity and challenge to the body and especially now yes right oh there's so much else that we're dealing with in the world yes a few things i'll say so those are the markers that we're measuring um, here's your labs, your inflammation, your liver enzymes. Here's your blood pressure, your, your body composition, your fat mass, that photo where we're seeing what your, your skin and your face looks like. But then there's things that you can't really measure. How do you feel when you wake up? How's your energy through the day? Is it more sustained? You're not having those crashes that you used to have? Are you less irritable? You're less snappy with people. Um, we call those NSVs, right? Non-scale victories. Right. And they're huge. It's, I, huge. I'm, it's huge. I have one that's... Uh, not really great for <laughs> radio listeners. I'll share with that one with you privately. <laughs> but I think there are all kinds of non-scale yes. victories, whether the scale meaning uh, the weight on the scale or whether the scale of your life, right? right? Anything that's measurable. You mm -hmm. can't measure so much your mood or how you're feeling as you open your eyes in the morning. But sleep is key too. So alcohol makes it easier for people to fall asleep. Some may say it helps them pass out <laughs> at night. Depends on how much you're having. Right. But it, it makes us feel sluggish, sleepy, we're going to sleep. But it actually interferes with the quality of our sleep. And so it hinders the depth of the sleep that we get. And so um, we may think it's helping us sleep, but it's actually doing the reverse. The other thing that a lot of people turn to alcohol for is to unwind as a stress release. Sure. But alcohol actually lowers our body's threshold to deal with stress. And so what that means is a situation that might cause us anxiety to a mild degree, if we're drinking on a regular basis, it actually heightens that reaction and causes that anxiety to a larger degree. It's um, almost oversensitizing wow. the uh, sensors that are part of our stress response in our body. So does it increase the cortisol? Yes, all. Wow, that's and, I didn't know that. And so our, our sensory response, our perception of stress is is heightened. And so when someone isn't drinking, they'll feel like, wow, these situations that were causing me anxiety before, my heart racing, my ears roaring, um, you know, these things that were really, maybe it could be public speaking, it could be a presentation, things that they were having this intense anxiety about, or even just difficult conversations. Wow, I'm handling that so much better. I'm not having that reaction. Well, I think anything we can do to keep our cortisol yes. levels lowered, right? So whether it's meditation or alcohol right. free for 40 or connecting. And I love the fact that you have all of this stuff is available on social media so it's accessible. Yes. So where, if people want to join that conversation, where will they find the conversation again, if you don't mind repeating? So the easiest place to find the platform for everything is our website is alcoholfreefor40.com. And it's all one word, alcohol free for 40, four zero. Great, that's what I was going to ask. And that'll bring you to our site that has all types of, here's all the labs we do. Here's kind of the gist of it. Here's what the challenge is. Here's what it looks like. Here's um, examples of, we don't say mocktails, of course. We say zero proof cocktails. Oh, know? I like that. Yeah, so here's examples of this. But then also here's the link for the Facebook group. And the Facebook group Fantastic. is also alcohol free for 40. And if you're not in Facebook groups, you just click to join. It had, we ask a couple of questions. Um, did you do your labs? Um, how did can you, you behave about it? yourself? Behave yourself, which unfortunately, sadly, some people cannot. And then, so it's not. Yikes. Yeah, it's not a um, a tough. So you do have to be quote like admitted to the group, but everyone's admitted. You know, if you're there for good intentions, you're in. I think it is a wonderful opportunity to learn a lot about yourself and your body and the way your body processes and. The difference that it can make, I, I personally 
Uh, it's very important to me. I look forward to Alcohol Free for 40 with you every year after Carnival. Um, Molly Kimball is who we're talking to, registered dietitian, uh, chief cheese on Eat Fit NOLA, but right now, uh, obvious focal point being Alcohol Free for 40. Jump in, even if you just try for a week if you feel it, I think you should. Thank you so much, Molly. This Thank has just you. been amazing. And don't forget again, go to the website, alcoholfreefor440.com. Thanks again, Molly. Thanks, Lauren. Hey, talking food and the rich culture in South Louisiana, it's unbelievable how much incredible food, restaurants, dining, and culture there is even in, amidst the pandemic, which has decimated restaurants, bars, and our industry, hospitality in general, but we're still out there, those of us that are food writers, writing about food, talking about food, and of course, if you go on social media, you just can't help but notice the huge proliferation of uh, food-related accounts, uh, food influencers, uh, all these people. Food is still a thing, and it's important. But writing about food has become a very interesting challenge. Do you critique restaurants? Do you not critique restaurants? You know, my way of going about it is I prefer not to critique restaurants, certainly at this time. I kind of never have really been a classic critic in that sense. I don't dole out stars or beans or forks or whatever. Uh, for restaurants, it's not my style. I prefer to tell people where there's something fun and interesting to eat or drink and then make, you make their own decision. But in this particular moment in our food world, the question becomes, do we critique, do we not critique? And I'm not the only person out there writing about food. In fact, the food writing community is uh, pretty, pretty big and it's very interesting. And I really, really firmly believe that a diversity in voices, and I use that word diversity meaning multiple voices in food is an imperative. Luckily enough, a good friend, and a fellow, a colleague in the food writing world, Kim Ranjbar. She writes for, she writes for a bunch of different people, mostly for herself. Her Instagram accounts and her blog are called, it's called Suck the Heads. Suck the Heads is incredible, but she also writes for Where Yat Magazine and has been their food writer for quite some time. And she's joining me in this conversation talking about food writing and the challenges of food writing. And also, what is a week in her life like in food. Welcome to the show, Kim Ranchbar. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. So I know I gave a really crappy version of your bio. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sorry. So you uh, tell us more about who you write for and, and give the proper name for your blog and your Instagram accounts, because I know you have more than one. Um, so my blog is sucktheheads.com, and um, I've been writing on that for at least 10 or 11 years now. And then, um, my other account is Nola Food Porn, but on Instagram it's Prawn. Right, because they don't allow you to use porn in the name. So if you're looking for it, it's N O L A Food, F O O D, Prawn, P R O N. This, that wasn't a typo. You didn't have a choice, right? <laughs> right, I had to do it. At the time when I signed up the account, Instagram wouldn't let me put porn, which I guess I understand, but. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> right, exactly. And and what, exactly what it is? What is it that you do on that particular social media account? What is no? What is food porn? What does that mean? Um, 
I think it's just, you know, what everyone else ascribes porn as, you know, getting up close and personal with the food and <laughs> making it look sensual, making people hungry. That's, yes, so. right, the key to it all, isn't it? it? It's very interesting. So you've been writing on food for some time and writing for Where Yet, which has been interesting, and you write the food news, and the other column that you write for them is called? 20 and Under. Right, 20 and Under, which means that the stuff you're finding around town that's $20 or less. Yes. And there's a digital, like we could, like if we wanted to, we could find it not only in the physical print hard copy, but online as well too, right? Yes, at whereyat.com. And this is monthly, it comes out, you do your thing, but you don't just eat once a month. Oh no. <laughs> I would never be able to keep up if I just ate once a month. Yeah. So the pandemic has altered, of course, the food world. It's altered everything, but I'm so myopic. We're, this is a food show, so we'll stay in that vein. <laughs> it's um, altered a lot of things. Obviously, lockdown was crazy. Right. 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 And then following the coming back in various uh, open, you know, 1.2, 1, 2.0, 2. Point, whatever, all these, you know, 50%, 25%, 70, all these different things. Has that affected how you write about food? Uh, most definitely. In what way? Well, first of all, because I feel that I'm semi, you know, compromised. I am afraid to go into restaurants, or I was, especially in the beginning. Well, I mean, when, when we still? were all locked down. Still, I'm hesitant, definitely. I, I much more prefer going to get takeout than sitting inside a restaurant. I have done a couple, maybe three restaurants wow. that I've actually sat in. That we're, and we're coming up on a year. Yeah. That's crazy for you, though. Yes, because I used to go out at least twice a week. Wow, to eat out. So you've been staying home doing to-go food and takeout food. So while we're here on this subject, to-go food Let's talk about to-go food because I think it's a bit, it's really interesting. I've watched restaurants change the way that they do to-go food. I think initially everyone was sort of taking the menus that they had in existence and then just putting everything into go boxes and at the same price points and the same kind of things, whether if you were a fine dining restaurant, you were putting your fine dining you know, meals in go boxes personally. I didn't think they translate. How do you, what do you think about the to-go food movement? And what, are your, what do you think, has it changed? Um, definitely, I mean, I actually did a piece on uh, Palm and Pine for this other publication that I write for, for FrenchQuarterJournal.com. Yeah. And um, this was a while back, like towards the beginning, when they just could start opening again, or at least offering takeout. And that was like one of the biggest challenges was for them to translate that into takeout and to they had to change up they had to change up their menu they had to change up the, the boxes they learned about takeout and and what worked and what didn't and I think that, I think all restaurants had to figure that out too because to go was sort of the only way to make it work and to make it money and at the same time what they had been doing really didn't translate well. I mean, some dishes, it's obvious. Pizza, right. you know, it, Burgers uh, even, burgers and fries, it's not that big Fries deal. not so much because if they close them That's in, true. they get steamy and they get squishy. Although people have been working around tricks for that, you know, like right. wrapping it in um, tinfoil with like an extra layer of paper in between the tinfoil. Or and punching the, holes yes. to let air circulate. Yes. I think it's been super interesting to 
to have to-go food, but I've also noticed too that restaurants have shifted what they're offering, that their menus have changed to comport with this to-go food movement. And uh, we could get into third-party delivery, but I think we'll leave that for another occasion. Um, and also, so, though, I yeah. wanted to say about the um, a lot of the restaurants that I had talked to were talking about how they wanted to stay on the whole sustainable kick. You know, they didn't want to put out a bunch of you Yucky know styrofoam. And, you know, they wanted to stay with their belief system and. In keeping, you know, but the environment expensive. safe. Oh, yes, definitely. I think that also is a problem. I mean, I know that certain places that I have ordered to go food from, if they do styrofoam and it's hot food, it melts the styrofoam, and then I'm completely freaked out about eating all the, you know, plastics that right. are potentially going into that food. Do you find? Oh, does that, that freak yes. you out too? But that was even pre-pandemic, you know. If... Absolutely. <laughs> but post-pandemic, when you're really concerned about your pennies mm -hmm. more so than ever, most definitely, right? Then you can't maybe get the bagasse or the fancy biodegradable compostable because it's expensive right. and you go to the lesser expensive but then it compromises the food what a nightmare right I can't even imagine how restaurants are managing it, it's it's incredible we're gonna talk more to go food and what it is like a week in your life look like today in terms of eating um, we know that you don't dine out in inside the restaurant much uh, and I want to also know if you've ordered from any uh, pop-ups or meal prep places and uh, if you've enjoyed those kinds of things, like more complete meals, the newer people that have, the entrepreneurs that have showed up and what they're doing. So we're gonna talk about food, dining, food writing, and maybe some of our pet peeves in food writing. That would be great. <laughs> so talking about to-go food, well, how much we get to-go food, how much dining in we do. Kim Ranjbar, I'm Lauren Godan, of course. And I'm talking with Kim Ranjbar, a colleague and fellow food writer. We were talking about how much to-go food versus dining in. I, I'm one of the gutsy people that's willing to go into a restaurant um, and dine in a restaurant. But Kim says she is not yet ready to do that. And that's why she's here, to give us the opposing view, because I think it's really important. And we've been talking about to-go food and how the restaurant menus have had to change to comport with to-go food and what that has looked like. And then I need to know about writing about to-go food because it's so hard to be critical. Kim, you said you've really ramped up your to-go food during the pandemic time and you're continuing it, although you're starting to go back into restaurants a little bit. Just a little bit, yeah. Right. So how has writing about food also changed for you now that you're eating to-go food? What have you been doing with that? Well, you definitely have to be more lenient you yeah. know, because it's never going to come out like it does on a plate. It's it's just not going to come out the same way. <laughs> I don't care what you order. It's it's just not. It's not going to look pretty necessarily, which is another challenge with taking so. photos, especially with Nola food porn. You know, I can't. Do you try to replate the food so that it sometimes sometimes, sometimes it actually sometimes it actually looks okay? Like I'll work it in the box because I want people to know that I'm take, doing takeout. Yeah. Um, so I'll work it in the box and it and it comes out pretty decent, <laughs> but it's not the same. You know? Your images are nice. I like them. You know, there's a the trend and think in uh, social media and I guess on the internet in general in looking up up close and really getting close on some of the food and sometimes. It looks like an open wound. Not your photos necessarily, but other other. Sometimes it can. Yeah, you have to be careful. <laughs> I think we all have to be careful. It happens to me too. Right. I mean, I take crummy pictures every now and again too. Oh sure. And then I'm like, 
Um, I get so bummed about it because the food is so great and then I want to re represent it properly. Do you find that too? Oh yes, definitely. But I think that was even, you know, before. It's, right, it, always. Yeah, it's always. always been the challenge in food writing. It's sometimes so, I'll right? post it on my Facebook page or my Instagram and say, you know, my Suck the Heads Instagram and say, you know, is, is this porn? <laughs> <laughs> and some people will be like, yeah, they'll be totally jazzed about it and other people... Not Isn't so it much. interesting? It's about your eye because you know what I see is looking luscious, and what you see and what someone else sees is very different. Definitely. And I and I have it have a tendency to be hypercritical of images, so which most people are more than well aware of. But <laughs> I'm not quiet. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm also available for people to criticize mine because right. I know that my photos sometimes are yucky. But I want to ask you about food writing. And when you're writing about these to go and the process, because a lot of people want to be food writers. And do you feel like I do, which is there's room for everybody? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Because I mean, it's I not mean a big deal. you know, I mean, everyone has an opinion and, and everybody <laughs> right? likes different kinds of foods and everybody has different backgrounds that lead them to like certain things and not like other things. I mean, do you I have, know I have my own preferences. Do so. you have pet peeve phrases that you cannot stand when you read them and that you do or do not incorporate in your writing? Oh, I will self-edit because I'll hear me writing these <laughs> these terrible phrases or these phrases that I hate. Like? Like which ones? Because there's trendy ones, right? There's ones that are trendy. Like, like to perfection? To perfection. Anything boiled to perfection, fried to perfection. To golden grilled perfection. Grilled to golden. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That drives me nuts because it doesn't mean anything. It well, sorry, anything. of course it doesn't, right? Because perfection, who, who knows what that even means? Right. Your definition and my definition are completely different. Absolutely. So. And, you know, okay, so mine is it doesn't disappoint. Yes. <laughs> okay, that just makes me bananas. It doesn't say anything. It's not telling me anything. But it doesn't disappoint. I don't care whether you're disappointed or not, sister, mister. <laughs> I, I don't I don't I don't get the use of it doesn't disappoint and I hear it all the time like so I, I read it today I read post. it today as well it's it makes me bananas because again it doesn't say anything just sort of like the words delicious and good I, I they're a little bit empty yes. any other pet peeve phrases um on point <laughs> Yeah, I don't like that one either. I do not like that one. Because, again, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Well, and I always say on point. What point? Are we talking about the point at the top of your head? Right. <laughs> and I know that's... The point at the end of your fork? Exactly. I don't, it, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm not, I don't love... Yeah, so we don't like on point, to perfection, uh, it didn't disappoint, <laughs> all of these phrases, and they're very popular and common in the overarching food world, whether you're on Instagram and the Instagram influencers and all that kind of thing. And also the sameness of images too, yes. in food images, whether yes. it's someone with their bitten fingernails and like raggedy cuticles holding- A burger, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Or like a sandwich that's like- Or an ice cream half. cone. And yes, totally. <laughs> yes. There's a picture I have of- <laughs> of ice cream at Creole Creamery and I will not post it because I have my dirty fingernail in the picture. Why would people post that? Well, so. that's the too close up and the overhead, right. there's all these things. Is it? Are you still having fun writing about food? Oh yeah, it's just completely different. And also, you know, I mean, like everybody else, I think my finances have been reduced. Yeah. So I can't, I can't do it as often. I just can't go as often. I can't. So I have to, you know, 
be creative. Yeah, <laughs> you know? well, it, we, I think that that's an important thing. We have to be creative too in the same way and with restaurants, which is why, I mean, you know, I think it is important that we lift up as much as humanly possible uh, restaurants, our fellow writers who are doing all kinds of interesting and different things and be as supportive as humanly possible. And yes, if your finances are tight and my finance, everyone's finances are tight mm -hmm. right now, then you just do what you can. But yes. is it still fun when you do it? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's still fun too. What, uh, give me an idea of what was the most recent thing you did that was fun in food? Well, it was funny because I was talking to you about it, but uh, I had gone and to Fota Bay and I got a bowl of, you know, I, it was to go, obviously, and I got um, my favorite, the wonton soup. And I was just so impressed with the way that they set it up because I had never gotten to go from Fota Bay and they separated the broth from the, from the noodles and everything to keep it. Right, so it didn't nice get all squishy. Fresh, right. right, and I was just so impressed by the way it was presented and how it came out, and it still tasted delicious the way it always does. You know, I mean, and, and it was a smaller amount of broth, which I was, you know, I was used to a way bigger bowl, but it still tasted good. I liked the way it looked. It was fun. I, I thought it was really cool. The little spoon that came with it, you know, the the um, is it sort of the Asian style? Yes, spoon? the Asian style scoop mm. spoon, and I just I loved it. I, I was taking pictures of that. I'm like, look at how cool is this, and the way the packaging was. So. I wish people could see your face like I can, because what's really really cool is that how the joy, that obvious joy that you still get about food, talking about it and writing about it. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, next show, next Saturday, I think we're going to get the scoop on ice cream. Yep, that's where my head's at. <laughs> Tim Ranchbar, thank you so much. It's been a blast. Thank you. Everybody, you know what to do. Support the hospitality industry. Support your local restaurants. Order to go or dine in if you're there. But most important, let's eat. <laughs>